really nasty experience once. I'd been in London doing some GS stuff, and I forgot to switch off my sensitivity. And I was driving along the M4 at 90 miles an hour. Suddenly, there's this big black wall in front of me, and I slammed on the brakes and went straight through it and didn't kill myself. And it took me like a minute to realise what I'd seen because I, I can see this stuff when I choose to, is that what I'd seen was this sort of big black GS line going across the M4. And because I, I, I wasn't like I wasn't in I'm looking for GS mode, I was I'm driving home, having had a successful workshop mode, but I hadn't switched off the possibility of seeing the stuff. So I actually, what, what I, so I saw that line there. Hi there, I'm Graham Gardner from the British Society of Dowsers. You're listening to Adventures in Dowsing, podcast number 16. In this podcast, we're going to take another look into the subject of geopathic stress. Back in episode number 12, if you remember, Dr. Patrick McManaway told us about geopathic stress and how it affected his house healing work. But working with GS is not just the province of the dowser. It's also something that health kinesiologists and several other holistic practitioners are interested in. Back in 2007, kinesiologist Jane Thurnell-Reed gave a talk to BSD conference on the topic, and we'll hear from her in just a moment. But first, let's have a quick look at uh, what courses we have coming up in the next month or so. On the 22nd and 23rd of May 2010, uh, Sarah Doughty Bassett is teaching a foundation course, that's Dowsing for Beginners, and that's in North Holmwood Village Hall near Dorking. Uh, Note that that is a new date. On the 29th and 30th of May, uh, Aaron Bray, who's chairman of the Water and Site Dowsing Group, is teaching Introduction to Dowsing for Water, and again that's a new date and that's going to be in Long Compton Village Hall in Warwickshire. And other BSD-approved courses. Uh, your humble podcaster, my good self, is teaching a foundation course in dowsing on May the 8th and 9th, and that's in Mugduck Country Park near Mulgai, just outside Glasgow. Uh, also that same weekend, the 8th and 9th of May, Richard Craitmore and Julie Rocker will be teaching uh, Earth Energies Level 1, which is dowsing for Earth Energies and the Spirit of Place, and that's at Beach Hill, which is near Nutley in East Sussex. On the 16th of May, uh, Vicky Sweetlove is holding a one-day workshop on sacred geometry and grids, and that's being held in Grue de Moselle, Limoges in France. So that sounds like a good one to go on if you can make it. Uh, For more details of all these courses, uh, you can of course check the BSD website. And uh, full details of our annual conference in Cirencester on the 10th and 12th of September are also now posted on the website, and already it looks like a very interesting lineup of speakers and workshops this year. If you're thinking of attending, remember that places are limited at these events, so do book early. And, uh, of course, uh, you don't have to be a BSD member to attend these events. It's an ideal opportunity to come along, meet other dowsers, and find out what the, the BSD is all about. And uh, it's also great fun as well. Incidentally, uh, since our last episode where I mentioned how wide our international subscriber base is becoming, I've noticed that we now have quite a few subscribers in the Russian Federation. So may I just say, Privyet nashim raskim slushatelyam. 
I hope that's correct. I'm entirely dependent on uh, Google for these things. Now, here's the talk by uh, Jane Thornall-Reed, which was recorded at our 2007 conference. As a kinesiologist, Jane is perhaps more interested in the health of the individual residents of her property rather than the space itself, and here she discusses how the effects of geopathic stress may vary according to the individual. Some residents of a building might be extremely susceptible to GS, while others notice nothing at all, so the situation can be more complex than it initially appears. It's a very interesting talk and provoked much discussion both during and after her presentation. So uh, I hope you enjoy it. Okay, so what I'm going to talk to you today about is about individual susceptibility to geopathic stress. Um, there's a lot more about this in my book, but I just want to sort of uh, toss around some ideas. One of the things I find when I talk to people about geopathic stress they often talk as though everyone is equally sensitive to geopathic stress. And I find that really frustrating because my own experience of it is that some people are very resistant, resilient, and some people are not. And one of the things I got interested in, in was in looking at that in more detail. Um, that partly came about because um, some years ago, I was teaching, I was, when I was teaching some kinesiologists, I was interested in bottling geopathic energies. Uh, one of the, part of my business is actually selling testing, allergy testing kits to therapists. And so I'd sell test vials for hormones and vitamins and foods and all sorts of things. And I was interested in looking at whether I could bottle geopathic energies or not. Um, and I stayed a night with a friend that I'd never stayed with before. And that night I sort of tossed and turned, tossed and turned, classic DS, you know, stuff going on. Because normally I sleep really well. And um, sort of halfway through the night, put the light on, worked out what was going on. And that there was a particular geopathic energy here and that I was reacting to it. So I decided to try and sort of bottle it and, and see if then I could take it in some sort of physical form. Uh, into the class I was teaching. Um, and I did that and took it along and tested. I, I said to everybody, do you mind if I test it? Oh no. So I was using kinesiology to test. And I did the testing and quite a lot of people reacted to it, just like I did. But quite a lot didn't. Right? Which confirms what I would have expected. But then when I actually looked at the people who were reacting to it, they were all women. I thought, oh, that's interesting. You know, I mean, okay, we're talking about maybe 15 people I tested, 20 people I tested, um, of which I can't remember the figure now, something like six, eight people reacted to it, but they were all women, and all the men were fine. And um, so that really sort of set the, uh, set the, you know, the cogs whirring away in the brain about what was going on here. And so over time, that's one of the things I've been particularly interested in, is why some people survive really well in apparently geopathically stressed environments and other people just keel over. So the first, thing, the first point I've made here is I think this obviously overall sensitivity. Some people are just generally more sensitive than others. And in a way that's not surprising because, because some people can, uh, are much more sensitive to emotional stress than other people are. Some people can manage with very little sleep. 
Whereas if I get very little sleep, I am you know, the original grumpy person. I have very low tolerance for little sleep. I need like 10 hours a day. If I don't get 10 hours, I start to get really edgy and things. So I have low tolerance for lack of sleep. But other things, I have a really high tolerance for. Geopathic stress, I now have a high tolerance for. At one point, I didn't. And I'll talk about how that change has come about if you're interested, maybe later on. The basic thing is different people have different sensitivities to geopathic stress in general. I think maybe we'd all agree on, hopefully we'd all agree on that. The second point I think is that uh, there are many different types of geopathic stress. And people aren't necessarily sensitive to all the different types of geopathic stress. So take this example of this uh, geopathic stress I bottled from my friend's bedroom. It was women who reacted to that. The men seemed okay. Now I don't think it all divides along, uh, along gender lines at all. Um, I think there are other differences. One possibility I think is, is to do with resonance. So what I, what I actually postulated, and I have no way of proving that this is true or not, is that in terms of the, the, uh, this particular energy that females reacted to, that it was very much that the geopathic energy resonated in a similar way to the ovaries. And so what was happening was women were being affected because they had ovaries, men were not being affected because they didn't have ovaries. So if we had a geopathic energy that, were, that was resonating at the same as the prostate, for example, then it would have been men that would have reacted, not women. So there's, I'm not, you know, there's other possibilities as well, uh, because there's other uh, sexual differences between, between men and women. So there could be other energies that would react along uh, sexual lines. Another possibility in terms of resonance is that maybe for a healthy organ, um, the liver for example, you have a certain, um, there's a whole, a whole load of frequencies which are healthy. But if you're, if you're over here and you've got a geopathic energy that's over there, then you would react to it, whereas somebody who has the same, a healthy liver that has a frequency over here, wouldn't react to it. As, as a, for example, liver, brain, uh, muscle, whatever you like to describe it. So the, the problem with that, I think, and I'm going to argue against myself here, is that if it has a resonance frequ resonant frequency and reacts with the GS, then what would happen over time, I think, is its resonant frequency would change if it was being affected by the GS energy. So then it would move off, the, off being that close to the GS energy, and so then maybe it would recover, but then maybe that takes it back, so you'd have this happening, yeah? Going backwards and forwards. Another possibility is that if you're already ill, and therefore the, the resonant frequency of the organ or, or the muscle or whatever it is is not correct, then the geopathic energy actually moves it further out. Yeah, and I think that possibly that is the more likely position. Which, if that's true, then the geopathic energy doesn't cause the problem, it enhances an existing problem. And I think that is probably the position I would generally take. That is actually, geopathic stress on its own, in general, will not cause problems. It's when they, you add to them that they go further out. Yeah? Okay, if that's the case, 
then one of the things you can do is improve things so that people are much less susceptible to geopathic energies. And that's clearly possible. Um, I take in my own case, uh, 10, 15 years ago, I was really susceptible, no, maybe a lot more than that, really, really susceptible to geopathic energies. Now, unless I choose to be, I'm really unaffected by geopathic energies. One way of making people temporarily less susceptible to geopathic stress is to degas them. Those of you who read my book will know, will know this. <laughs> for those of you who don't, it's a very simple procedure uh, for which you need a hairdryer. Um, what you do is you plug the hairdryer in and then you uh, switch it on um, and then you run the hairdryer all over the body. Okay, you're running the barrel of the hairdryer, so it's like this was the hairdryer, yeah, and this is how you'd use it normally to dry your hair, right? We've got your cord coming out here. Instead of that, what you do is actually run the barrel all over you, right? Now, if you're doing that, take your credit cards and your library cards and your London tube cards <laughs> out of your pockets first because the, anything that's got a magnetic strip on the back, because it will demagnetize the magnetic strip, that can really help people temporarily be less susceptible to uh, GS. It's also good for people who, are, um, who get static electric shocks. Um, if you're addicted to TV or video games, you know, then this works really well for that too. Right? Just de de what you're doing is just demagnetize it, degaussing yourself and uh, just do it all over your body. Seems a bit bizarre, but it works really well. I've had loads of people come back to me and say, just amazing, works amazingly well. When I was working as a therapist regularly, uh, I, I was treating a small kid who had asthma, and his mum said, I want to make an appointment, appointment to see you. And I said, why? She said, because I, ever since I've gone back to work, I've been getting headaches, but I only get headaches on the day I work. I'm working three days a week. I only get headaches on the day I work. One possibility, of course, is that she hates work. But um, she said, I'm sure it's the VDUs I'm using. It really gives me a horrible, horrible headache. And I want to make a point to see you. So I said, well, uh, don't make a point to see me yet. I said, what we need to do is go home and do this degassing. So I explained to her how to do it. And um, when she came in for her next appointment with her son, she said, uh, I haven't had any problems since. So absolutely fantastic. It's not, you, you don't just do it once. You have to do it repeatedly. Um, depending on how geopathically stressed the area is, how, how much static electric shock or da, 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 people are exposed to, you might need to do it every couple of days. Less, if you're less exposed to it, once a week is probably okay. Um, people often, once they've done it a few times, they start to know when they need to do it. I had uh, um, some friends and, and who were all addicted to the telly, and they'd all just sit there, you know, not, nobody being able to walk away. And so one guy said, look, let, let me just degauss a lot of you. So I degaussed everybody, which they thought was very odd. Um, and I spoke to them about a week later, and they said, absolutely amazing, you can switch the telly off now. And I thought it was fantastic. And um, I told them to do it regularly. And of course, to begin with, they did, and then after a while, they stopped doing it. And then they, they said to me one day, suddenly somebody said, we ought to do the degassing. Is that what I'm Staring at nothing. So they managed to drag themselves away and degass themselves and then they were okay again. So uh, it's not something that will correct it permanently. But I think one of the, one of the problems that when people are geopathic, 
suffering very badly from geopathic stresses, it can be quite difficult to do things. You know, like clean up your diet, take exercise, do all your stuff that you know you need to do to be healthy. And so if you can get them doing that, which isn't that difficult to do, it temporarily relieves the load enough for them to actually, um, you know, then put other things into place. Yeah, so that's, that was one of the very first things I did. And for me it was like, oh, wonderful. What are the range of symptoms to show that they are suffering from geopathic stress? What kinds of things do they show? Okay, so she asked me what symptoms people might show if they're suffering from geopathic stress. The traditional thing is people who get ill and can't get well again. No matter what they do, that's a real traditional one. You know, if you'll meet people who have tried all the conventional treatments, lots and lots of alternative or complementary therapies, and aren't well. People who have difficulty sleeping, people who are tired all the time, uh, people who miscarry a lot, that sort of thing. There's lots and lots of different things. Of course, these could all be attributed to other things as well. So it's not a, you, you haven't got to check this and say, therefore, this is geopathic stress. But if you've got people experiencing those sorts of problems um, and who say, um, particularly if you ask them, do you get static electric shocks? Do you get addicted to the telly? Yeah, that sort of, if they say yes to those things as well, then you're pretty much, I think you'd say, okay, there's something going on, geopathic stress, electromagnetic pollution, something up. You know, in that sort of field that you ought to be, uh, you ought to be considering. Um, and another question I would ask is, is about, do you have a cat? Because it's, it's well known that cats like, in general, geopathic energies, dogs don't like it. And I'm amazed at the number of people I've said that to, do you have a cat? And they say, no, but all the, local, all the cats like my garden, or this cat has adopted me. Yeah, we do have a cat, but really, we didn't go out looking for it. It just came and insisted on living with us. Um, that, if, you've got, if, you, if you have people in that situation, that probably suggests that there, there's um, geopathic stress there. The, um, I, did, I, I did some work on uh, a dealing room floor in the city of London, um, which I'll talk about in a bit. Uh, which, uh, there was a, a, a colony of feral cats. Uh, which I didn't know about, and I mapped the GS, and part of it went right the way through where this, this colony of feral cats were. They were a real problem. I can't remember. There were loads. I had something like 50 cats, you know, that they just couldn't get rid of. And uh, so, you know, if you've got a lot of cats around, that tends to suggest things. Lots of hands, Rob. Have come down? Yes? No one does on people for geopathic stress levels. And how do you bottle geopathic stress? Okay, can you guys, um, I think you can dose on people. Um, a lot of it, when I'm looking at geopathic stress, I actually tend to go away from, I tend to walk the area and then go away from it to actually, and, and then use a map. That, that's my like, preferred method. Because one of the things I find is I can go in into you know a standard little semi semi detached house, walk in the front door, start to do some some working out where the GS is, and after about two minutes I can't work out where the front door is and where the back door is because I get very disorientated by it, and I, I learn very quickly to say to clients as soon as I went into the house. One of the things that happens to me when I do this is I get I get disorientated. So if I ask you where the front door is, don't worry, 
Yeah, because you've got to say, I say that first, because otherwise you don't, you know, you spend two minutes dancing, and then you go, um, uh, so which way's the front? Is it, is it that way or is it that way? You know, I mean, it doesn't, if I was on the receiving end of that, I'd go, this woman doesn't look, you know, this woman's balmy. So I actually usually say that, and then I'd go out and, uh, uh, and <coughs> I actually usually use kinesiology. Um, rather than dancing, just because I've been trained as a kinesiologist, but I think you can do both. The easiest way to bottle geopathic energies, I think, is really, really easy. All you need to do is stick a, a ball. Well, if you only want to get the GS energies, I think you have to do something. There's two ways of doing it. You can get the whole energies of the house, um, and this is by just putting a bowl of water. And I'll have a test for where in the house to put it. Um, and preferably glass, preferably, you know, like one of those big mixing bowls, so it's got a quite wide surface area. And just leave that for like 24 hours, and then you can bottle that, and that will give you the energy of that house. It's quite a, quite a good way of getting the energy of the house, and you can do some testing for it. And that can be quite useful if you're not actually going to go visit the house, and you can do it. I mean, along with the subtle energy type stuff of the house, you would also, you'll also get, you know, dog hair, human skin, fluff off the carpet, all sorts of things. It's quite nice, bottle it's the house, all right? Um, if you're doing geopathic stress, if you want the geopathic energy, you need to locate the geopathic energy exactly, and put some water, but don't, uh, but close the water, and do it with the intention of collecting the geopathic energies that's at that spot. Yeah? Well, yeah, yeah. Yeah. If you want the house, then you'd, you'd test where to put them, uh, use a big glass mixing bowl, expose it somewhere, yeah. and, and preferably test the where. Or if you can't do that, I mean, you know, you just, in general, I would do it somewhere where there's loads of truck people walking through, you know, so you can get some sense of the whole house. If you're doing that, You'd be getting dog hair, cat hair, or whatever. If they have pets, you'd get a human hair. You'd get fluff off the carpet. You'd get any pollens that are around. You'd get all sorts of stuff. And that would be a test if you wanted to check the person against the house in its entirety. If you just wanted the GS energy, you'd have to find where the GS energy is if you want to bottle it. And then you could use it again at some future date. Stick a small bottle of water there and do it with the intention of doing GS energy, just collecting the GS energy. Um, the, a hoover bag. A hoover, yeah, a hoover bag gives you, you see, a hoover bag will give you um, dog, cat, human hair, um, some pollens. So I sometimes do use a hoover bag and stuff outside from it, but, but I actually find by using the bowl, you get more subtle energy stuff as well. Yeah. That belongs to that house. Right? And you can test people against it and then later on, after they've done whatever they're supposed to be doing or after you've done your work on them, you can retest them against it. Yeah? And keep doing it. Does DS include sensitivity to electricity patterns or is that? Well I I don't think it should, because GEO is GEO is Earth. From the and pathic is you know, sort of malady illness, illness from the earth. So I actually don't consider that to be part of geopathic. Lots of people include the two together. But again, if you've got problems with pylons and things, the um, degaussing works really well. 
Yeah. With the hair dryer. Yeah. Yeah. So, so if you've got somebody who lives near a, a transformer or near pylons and so on, get them degaussing regularly. Yeah. 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 You could use homeo blank homeopathic sugar pills. Um, I also the water I use, in fact, is very special water. I use water that's been um, that's been filtered because I sell them, so I want them to be as like pure as pure. So, what, so I use special water that's been filtered to remove all the chlorine and uh, pesticides and stuff like that, and then it's been put over um, a special crystal so that the where the water is is uh, neutral. Um, and that works really so it really holds the, the energy pattern of whatever you're trying to do to, to put into it. I mean, one of the things about bottling geopathic energy specifically is then you have a sort of li a library, a reminder, yeah? Of, so you could then later on say, okay, is this the same energy as this one? There's, you know, you could, in somebody else's house, so you could actually build yourself up a library. Of different, of, of different little bottles of energies, yeah? I have got with me, they're in the car, but if anybody wants to feel them, I just, this is sort of a bit of an afterthought. I've done seven earth energies, which are actually designed to, uh, as healing energies. Um, I talk about them in the book, and I've got, set, I've got them in the, in the car. There's need, huh, need, energy, and realism, inner wisdom, da 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 da. If anybody wants to hold them in their sticky hands, uh, give me a shout at some point, I'll get them. Yes. How did you protect a, a sample from being contaminated before you store it? I don't actually, I just intend that it should be okay. And that seems to work at least for some time. I'm getting off track, so I need to get back on track. But I think if you use some, a, a very clear carrier, then it will stay for longer. If you're just using tap water and sticking it in a, um, a jam jar, you've sort of, you know, speed through the dishwasher to clear out the chutney. Um, then I think that's not, you know, the integrity of that is not going to be that good for that long. But I think, you know, we can be very precious about all this stuff. But I actually don't think we need to. I think, you know, one of the things is I think our healing can be very simple. You know, it doesn't have to be complex. And I think in the short term, you know, Johnny just washed out, washed out the chutneys, put a bit of tap, you know, tap water in with all the stuff that's in it will work. If you believe it will work. If I'm not careful, we're going to get on to a whole other subject. Yes. <laughs> Two questions, Your Honour. Can GS be introduced by another person? And secondly, at what point, if any, do you start doing good spirit out of those energies? In my understanding of GS, it can't be introduced by another person, except if they go and do, I mean, if they do something. Um, but not, I think, in the sense you mean. Like, if... Mirrors can reflect GS energy. So if you get somebody who moved a mirror, came into the house and moved a mirror, then they could alter the GS configuration in the house. Yeah, but I don't think in the sense you mean. And the second question was, so to me. At what point, if any, do you start looking for adverse spirit energies? Adverse spirit energies, right. There's clearly a big involvement. Um, and I think if you talk to most of the people who do a lot of GS work, they will say you start off looking at earth energies and eventually you get to the, to the point when you recognise there's some, of, something else going on as well. And, and at that point quite a lot of people back off and decide not to uh, go any further. And I was actually one of those people. Um, I never really intended to get involved in geopathic stress um, at all. And it happened 
I won't, I won't avoid the story, but the story, I mean, the story is actually quite interesting, but it's not relevant here. Um, so when I actually got to the point when I thought, uh, this is not just, it's not just stuff from the earth, it's also about, you know, spirits, spirits or whatever you like to call them, different people have different names, discarnate beings, um, something else, those buggers I used to call them. <laughs> um, you know, then at that point you might decide, like, you know, I don't want to go out, carry on, I decided I don't want to carry on with this. There's a lot of people working, and I have every admiration for them, who do in the face of all that stuff. But let me go back to what I'm supposed to be talking to you about. And around the whole weekend, so if you want to talk about, you know, some of these tangential things, then I'd be very happy to talk to you about them. So we've got overall sensitivity, right? Some people are just generally more sensitive to GS than others. There's this thing about the resonance. If you've got an organ or a bit of you that resonates at the same frequency as a GS energy, then you're going to be more affected by it than if you don't. The third thing is patterns of use. Depending on how you use the room or where you sleep and so on, the GS will be, um, you'll be more affected or less affected. Some years ago I did a, um, a program for Channel 5 called, I think it's called Ghostbusters. Every so often it appears on you know, one of the digital programs and I thought, oh God, there's me again. <laughs> and um, what they did, they got three experts to go and look at this house and to say what was wrong with the house and what remedial work they would suggest. What was wrong with the people in, what, what, sorry, what problems the people inside the house might be experiencing and what should be done about it. Um, and then the people in the house would actually decide, they would listen to what was said, they would pick one person, that would be done, and then three months or six months later, they would go back and see how they're getting on, right? So I got asked to do this, along with a young, attractive feng shui lady with long blonde hair and a very sexy voice, and um, also a guy who, who uh, was interested in ghosts and um, did lots of work on ghosts, right? Um, so we went along not knowing what was wrong with the people in the house. And I went around and looked at the house. And so I made two very, very specific predictions. And I said, whoever, whoever is lying on this side of the bed, who lies on this side of the bed regularly, has, will either have leg problems or back problems, because there's a, a line that goes through the lower back legs. And if anybody uses this chair regularly, they're likely to get headaches or migraines. So I made very specific. Predictions. The feng shui lady said, oh yes, the people in this house, they are suffering. They have so many problems. They have relationship problems. They could have money problems. They could have that. But she flowed around the house. And um, when it got edited, it got edited down that they'd never used either of the predictions that I had said. Um, and they used the... Um, her saying that people in this house may have problems relating to friends, right? None of the other. But she actually sprayed at such a wide target. This is not an anti-feng shui thing, because I mean, you know, there's lots of good feng shui people out there. Uh, that, you know, she was going to hit it, wasn't she? You know, if you, throw, if you do enough bullets at a target, but one of them is going to get the right spot. And um, so in fact, what they, what they used was her. And it, it came over as her saying, 
like, oh, these people have friendship problems. And you actually didn't need to... What I discovered subsequently was that these, this couple were militant Labour supporters, right? The wife was a militant feminist Labour supporter, and they were living in a very expensive suburb where that had returned a Conservative Member of Parliament for the last 500 years, right? And what they were complaining about was lack of friends, that they hadn't been able to make friends. One of those actually came over in the programme, of course. And um, anyway, back to, back, to, back to the original bit of this. When it was actually discussed with people, the guy, the guy said, I sleep on that side, and I get woken, some nights I get woken with cramps in my legs, and I have to get out of bed. Spot on, wasn't I? You wouldn't know that. If you'd seen that programme, you wouldn't know I was any good at all. The other thing I said about this chair with me, Gray, if somebody sits in it regularly, it's the wife's favourite chair, she'd sit in it and watch the telly, and she got migraines and headaches. So you can sometimes be, you know, really accurate predictions. I did some work in um, a dealing room for in the city of London. I, I was taken along by an engineering friend of mine, and um, he, he was really embarrassed about having me with him. But he told me. But he said to me, he says, "I'm not going to say who you are." So they obviously all thought I was his PA or something, you know. And he said, "I don't need to do dowsing rods or anything like that." So I said, oh, okay, I said, well, I'll tell you what, I said, I'll just wander around and, and, and do it by sensing. And um, there, there was a, a question about whether the air, there was a problem with the air conditioning and stuff, you see. So I said, I'll look at um, you know, the air conditioning vents every so often and sort of frown or something, you know, so that I think I'm doing that. Okay. So I went around and did all this, and I came up with a big Z through the building, like that, of really tremendous energy. And um, anyway, we had to do this presentation to this to some of the board members of this uh, office, and uh, went along. So we sort of go in, and so he starts talking, and then he said, "And Jane has found some geopathic stress. I'll let her explain." <laughs> I wasn't expecting this, and they're all sitting there. They said, one of them said, "What's geopathic stress?" I started to explain, and they all went like this, and went backwards. Oh, I know, lost this lot. And I started explaining, and I said, line, and they're all like not interested. And then suddenly, the personnel director, or whatever they call these days, man management? No, not man management. Human resources. Human resources. resources director suddenly leaned forward and said, My God. And she said, You have actually pinpointed where all these sick people that are having problems with absenteeism are actually sitting. So they then all led forward and got really interested. And, and uh, she said, she said, so, so yeah, it comes up through, through the can it, so it keeps on, can it keep on going up? And I said, yeah. So she said, so she sent somebody off to get a, 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 a map of the floor above. So they came back and we superimposed the map from the floor above. And they all looked at him and went, oh my God, the sick people are sitting one on top of the other. Yeah. And um, there's a lot more interesting stuff about that, that which I won't go into now. But subsequently, I was giving a lecture at a kinesiology conference. And I was talking about the steering room floor. And I didn't give the name of the building because of you know, professional confidence and blah, 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 blah. 
And somebody came up to me at the afterwards and said, you're talking about such and such, aren't you? And named the building in the city of London. I was like, oh, how do you know that? Because there was no way I'd given a hint of it. And she said, I worked on the fourth floor. And she said, so when you drew that Z line, she said, I thought back, thought about sick people, people who were always absent. It was exactly the same. So in fact, four floors have this Z going through it, four floors, well, first to those two, then there was a floor in between, presumably it was the same, and then the floor above, again, we've got all the sick people sitting, sitting there. So patterns of use, you know, the people who actually sit on the line, or on the spot, or the spiral, or whatever it happens to be, are more likely to suffer than people who don't. So that's another, point, another thing about the patterns of use. I'm going to give you lots more examples of that. And, you know, if you look on Alf Riggs' website, for, for example, he's got some really good examples from breast cancer and things like that. There's, you know, in some of the other books, there's lots of examples where uh, Kathy um, Bachelor's book, Bachelor, Bachelor, whatever her name is, and so on. What did you do about it? Well, unfortunately, I never did anything about it, which was a real shame. Because what happened is, about that time, the, the economy, I think we had Black, Black Wednesday, whatever, and so... All the, everybody was in, like, in jitters about money. And the engineer, he needed to get a big project. So what it said, I mean, the company said, okay, put, put forward a proposal about how we fix this. You know, this would be, we need to get this fixed. And um, the proposal he put together was really, really expensive. Because he added in, not just me, but all these engineers, not quite sure what these engineers were going to do, but anyway, he added in all this extra stuff. So it became this colossal project because he needed it to keep his business going, right? Now, I mean, I, I was a lot younger then and a lot not more naive and a lot more trusting. Now, if that happened to me, I would actually go back into the, the place afterwards and say, I can fix this for you without all this, right? But at the time, I, I, I didn't feel able to do that. So I never, unfortunately, never got to, never got to check it. And I've got to, you know, correct it. And that would have been fantastic to have been able to correct it. And then they could have seen what happened to their CMT figures, seen what happened. I mean, they were, they employed a huge number of women, but they hardly any of them ever got pregnant. Um, there was this whole company of feral cats. How did you answer it? What question did you ask? And how did you sort of scan so you actually quickly got this thing? Because it's quite an area to cover. Yeah, yeah. Well, what I did was, uh, like I was saying earlier, I, I asked, we asked for a, um, a plan of the, uh, of the floor, which, because the engineer, I mean, the engineer asked for it. And of course, you know, there's no reason why an engineer shouldn't be asking for that. And they had all those plans and things. So we got that. And then I just walked around uh, and sensed things. As I, as I said earlier, I'm generally not sensitive to GS anymore, but I, um, unless I choose to be. So I actually chose to be. I had a, a really nasty experience once. I'd been in London doing some GS stuff, and I forgot to switch off my sensitivity. And I was driving along the M4 at 90 miles an hour. And, uh, yes, I know, this was pre-speed camera days. And I'm driving along, and suddenly there's this big black wall in front of me. And I slammed on the brakes. I went straight through it and didn't kill myself. And it took me like a minute to realise what I'd seen. 
because I, I can see this stuff when I choose to, is that what I'd seen was this sort of big black GS line going across the M4. And because I, I, I wasn't like I wasn't in I'm looking for GS mode, I was I'm driving home, having had a successful workshop mode, but I hadn't switched off the possibility of seeing the stuff. So I actually what, what I, so I saw that line there. And Nick caused a caused a, a major pile up. And we all have been interested in well, well, officer. See the reason that the reason I prayed <laughs> when there was nobody ahead of me but nine miles an hour was because I saw this black wall and it's ripped but it's well, there isn't a black wall. No, I know there isn't a real black wall there, but there is a black wall. You're Z in the building. Yes. Presumably this is made up of three lines, and presumably these lines extend in both directions outwards, and these lines go under any number of other nearby buildings in the city of London. I, I, no, I didn't see it as three lines. I saw it as actually as a continuous line that had got diverted. Well, the interesting things was, at the point where they turned, it was very turbulent, energetically. And uh, having, having explained this to all these people, they all wanted to come with me and see what I was talking about. And I, we were going through one open plan office, and I said, it's here, it's here, it's here. And I said, it turns here. And I said, I don't know who sits there, because there was somebody who sat absolutely on the, the turn. Um, and as I said that, one of the women that was accompanying me just ran. She went, oh, ran. <laughs> so later on, I got to talk to her. Um, I said, I saw you run out. I said, what was that about? And she said, uh, that's where I sit. And she said, I've been get, experiencing all sorts of really peculiar symptoms. And she said, I've been terrified to go, go to the doctor because I think, you know, I've got something and I'm going to die. And she said, you, and you just said whoever sits there is really having, you know, will be having a lot of problems. So, uh, so that, you know, that's interesting. Very sad not to go to this. I think it was, no, I think it's one line that got actually um, curved for some reason. I know the next question is, what made it turn? Uh, yes, I don't know, I didn't do enough on it. All right, so there's that one. Okay, um, where are we? Fifth, fifth reason for individual variation is the weakest point. If I get stressed, if I run short of sleep and so on, I get a sore throat. Yeah? You know, if you get upset, um, run short of sleep, get exposed to geopathic stress, whatever, maybe get headaches, maybe get stomach problems, we all have a weaker sleep. Alright? So sometimes the effect is actually caused... We may both be experiencing the same geopathic stress, I've got a sore throat, even though the line doesn't come across my throat while I lie. Yeah? And you get stomachache, even though the lines go across where you lie. Okay. So, what I've been painting, I think, is quite a complex picture, really. You know, you've got this building that's got geopathic stress, but how do people react to it and how do people experience it can be quite different. Yeah? And that's where I got to, and I was like, oh, hell, this is going to make things even more difficult, you know, to, to analyse what's going on. So let's look, of course is GS involved in this building? So you've got four people living together, all working together in the A and C are generally well, B has chronically poor health, and D has health problems, which sometimes clear up when he's away from home for, for a considerable period of time. Okay? So just looking at that, that information, and not reading on, I should have said that first, shouldn't I, probably, but is, is geopolitical stress involved in the building? Not necessarily. Yeah, yes is right, no is right. 
personality is it actually the answer? Could be, might not be. You know, if you've got everybody's ill and they get better when they go away, then you say, oh yeah, that's geographic stress. But in real life, this is a much more likely situation. You get some stuff like this. And so I've given you one possible explanation of the, the, what's happening there. There are lots of others, but just it's more as an example. It's not, I'm not trying to... And obviously, you do the testing to find out. I'm not suggesting you sit there and you go, okay, well, what's the possible explanation of this? You'd actually do your dowsing and so on to find out whether there was geopathic stress. But one possible explanation is that A is not generally susceptible to geopathic problems, and so has no. That there is geopathic stress there, sorry, there is geopathic stress there, but A is, doesn't react to it because they're not very sensitive to geopathic stress. Right? Maybe when they're 90, if they stay in the house, they'll start to get symptoms. But in general, they, don't, they can cope with geopathic stress. Just like, you know, you might be able to cope with lack of sleep or emotional turmoil or something, in general, yeah? Uh, B, B is severely affected by geopathic stress in general. So it almost doesn't matter what type of geopathic stress is in the house, it's going to react, or she's going to react, right? And so does so with... Chronic health problems, in spite of visiting many conventional and complementary therapists. That's the typical GS, really, really sensitive GS person. C is strongly affected by one type of geopathic energy, but it's not found in this house. So they're okay. Right? So that's why they don't, they don't experience problems, even though there is geopathic stress in the house, even though they are sensitive to geopathic stress, because they're not sensitive to this particular type of geopathic stress. Yeah? Okay, say it was a fella, and the geopathic stress is that woman's disturbing one, then that would, then he could be fine. Hmm, don't know what you're talking about, darling. You know, I, this house is fine, why, why are you getting distressed, yeah? Because he can't experience it, whereas the woman's actually feeling really bad, yeah? Yeah, C is strongly affected, but it's not there, so they're okay. D is strongly affected, and it is there, okay? They get, they're all right when they go away from it, providing they go somewhere where it is not. Right? One of the interesting things is a lot of people seem to get addicted to geopathic stress. And I think it may be something to do with endorphins, that they get used to a certain level of endorphin production. And so, actually, you find people... You get these people who, who, one of the questions in terms of geopathic stress you might want to say is, um, you know, have your symptoms been worse since you moved into this house? And the person may say no. Now that could indicate there's no problem with the house from a geopathic stress from their point of view. Well, it could be that they always choose houses that are very geopathically stressed because they're addicted. So it feels right when they go into it. Yeah, just like people who are addicted to, you know, alcohol feels right when they go into a pub. Yeah? <laughs> Any pub. <laughs> Even though see any pub, they'll feel okay. It's the same sort of thing, yeah? So you do find people who get addicted to stuff. You do also... The engineer I took around this, um, this dealing room floor, I made him stand on one of the Zs. Before we, this was before we did the presentation. I said, just come here, Richard. I said, just stand there. I said, what do you think? And he stood there and he went, oh, this is wonderful. <laughs> oh, wonderful? What do you mean? And he said, oh, it just feels so wonderful. It's so calming. And he was a really hyperactive man who found it difficult to relax. So temporarily, standing there, it was really like, you know, the GS energy was just going, shh. 
So temporarily for him, it was felt like the most beautiful. But he said, oh, I feel, you know, oh, I could just stay here all day. It's so nice. Um, so it's like calming, relaxing, like having a massage for him almost, you know, this calming, relaxing thing. Obviously, if he stayed, if he put, moved, his, moved into the dinner and put his bed there, after a while, he'd start to get ill. Yeah, but temporarily it felt like a really good experience for him. Right, I've really simplified that, um, and I've, I've, EMF, I've added some more complication even more, all right, um, which you can read about at your leisure. So we've got all this complication, so how the hell do you do the testing? That's the main problem. You know, that simple question, is the geopedic stress in this house, yes or no, is like, has now suddenly got a lot more complex. Um, so, I started using indices for it. Using indices, uh, you first of all assess how much GS is in the building, is in the building or in the area. And using a scale of naught to a hundred. And here we're using a standard person, right? So it's how much, how much GS is in the building. Before, when, when you use indices, one of the important things that I don't see people doing, and I think it's vitally important you do do, is before you get going, is to calibrate your scale. In other words, to say, what do I mean by naught, and what do I mean by 10 or 100, or whatever the top one is. Yeah? And people say, oh, naught is good and 10 is bad. Well, what's bad? What does that mean? It's too, too vague. So the definition I use is for assessing how much GS in the building or in the area, zero is that there is none, that nobody in the world would experience it as a geopathic stress. Yeah? Not just me, you know, it may not be geopathic stress for me, but, but this abstract and being person, standard, this standard person who's both male and female and everything, there is no geopathic stress in the building at all. And 100 is as bad as it is possible to be, that you cannot actually add more GS into the building. You might be able to do it in a different way, but you couldn't actually make it work, so you could take it all out and add some other stuff in. So you says how much GS is in the building. I would do it, as I said earlier, by preferably walking around the area, you know, allowing, switching on my sensors, walking around all the area, then going outside, switching off the sensors, but still having the information located there, and then actually do the testing, um, use kinesiology, you can use um, a pendulum. Right? Or you might prefer to go round and down with rods, the actual place, or you might prefer to work from a map. There's lots of different ways of doing it, and different people have different preferences. So, you've, uh, you've done an indice for the scale of 0 to 100 of how much GS there is in, in that particular building. Then you do an indice, an index, sorry, an index for how sensitive each individual is to that GS energy. Alright, now again you can use a scale of 0 to 100. My definition, naught indicates that the person is not at all sensitive, actually, I mean ne negatively sensitive, I suppose, I mean, I'm looking at that again, I should have added, yes, but they're not negatively sensitive to that energy. And 100, it, my definition for 100 is that they die instantly if they walked in the house. Right? So in fact, yeah, I actually never get anybody to 100 because they wouldn't be there to, to test. Yes. So, but, but theoretically, that's what would happen. Yeah, it, 
that's my definition of what a hundred is. You, you might come up with something else, but for me, that's the scale I'm working on. Notice you could live there for the rest of your life. You would not have any health, emotional, spiritual problems attributable to geopathic energies. I'm not talking about electromagnetic pollution and da 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 da, because of the way I define it. Yeah, a hundred is where if you walked in, you dropped dead. So you've got two things out of a hundred. The first is for the, for the building itself, and the second is for that person. So you need to do that for everybody who's involved, yeah? all the people that experience that space. Then I multiply the two indices together, and you get a number. You'll get a huge number, because now a hundred times a hundred, the, the, the top figure is now 10,000. So you could come up with you know, 60,549 or something. Yeah. But it will be, you'll get big numbers. And I found from experience and from using testing that you need to get the number down to 22 or less for the person not to have problems. Now that seems, you know, if you've now got this person with like 60,000, you think, guys, 22, how the hell do you do that? But in fact, because of all the multiplication that's going on, you can do a small amount of correcting of an area and it will correct, um, you know, brings the numbers down quite dramatically. Okay? And one, so one of the things you can do is you do this beforehand, you then fix it, and you do it again afterwards. And check each person again. Alright? Because there may be some geopathic energy, if you don't do this, there may be some geopathic energies that you really don't need to worry about too much, because nobody in the house is sensitive to them. Yeah? So you're going to be concentrating on the stuff that is a problem, and using these indices will allow you to get to it. Now, some people have said, how do I, how do I correct geopathic problems? I as I said, I don't think there's just one solution to this. Um, but what I'd like to put to you is a concept of energy drains. And I came across energy drains. Um, I was staying with a friend, and I came across an energy drain in their house, and I couldn't identify what it was. We were on the, I think, second floor or third floor, they had one of these, a very tall house in Ripon, sort of narrow and tall. And uh, the energy was like halfway up in the room, sort of here, hovering around. Uh, and I was a bit mystified, and I went to the room below, and it wasn't there. And I went to the bedroom above, and it wasn't there. And it was like very localised. What the hell is this? And it didn't feel like anything I'd ever experienced before. So I was really sort of confused and, um, you know, uncertain about it. And I couldn't, I did testing, you know, using kinesiology, using global testing, and asking what it was and stuff. And I couldn't get anywhere. And I was driving home from Ripon back down to Penzance, and I did some of my best thinking in the car, because I think your, you know, your rational brain is preoccupied by the, the driving, so you, it frees you up to do other things. And, um, and I kept getting in my mind, and I, as I said earlier, I'm not a visual person, but I kept on getting this image of a drain, a, you know, a, um, a little drain that fits on the side of a, a road, you know, that sort of drain with grating, full of leaves. And it kept on, this image kept on coming into my head, and I was thinking, hmm. Anyway, eventually I stopped, stopped at a service station. I thought, I wonder if that's to do with that energy I just experienced. And I started doing some testing. What I came up with is that this energy drain, that the, there are energy drains at the whole of the planet. And they are part of subtle energy anatomy. 
So they're actually intended to be there. So they're not geopathic stress, they're not geopathic energies, they're actually intended to be there. And what they seem to do is to take subtle energy into another dimension. And so what they're designed to do is to actually remove the overload. And this, I thought this was really interesting. So, so this was a completely new concept to me because I've been looking for you know, bad energy spots. And here's this good energy spot. Now, I mean, I'm used to sort of good energy, like the idea of stone stones and good energies and stuff like this. But this was something like much more prosaic. It's not, you know, some wonderful place where you go and experience things. You could well have an energy drain in your house. So it's like, oh, wow. Um, so how do we unblock them? And the way, one way of unblocking them is to get women, and I was really surprised at this, because I have no special fondness for women, you know, I'm not a, you know, women, women, but um, to uh, hold hands and do a circle around the drain. Yeah? Just walk around the drain holding hands. We usually enter clockwise. Like maybe just three times. Uh, some of the people I've taught this to have found actually playing an instrument and testing what notes playing that into the drain works. And it clears the drain. Right? And um, I was just before I came up, I was looking at an email I had from somebody I trained, and she said, since she learned the concept of the drains and identifying the drains, now she doesn't do very much other GS work. Because what she does is she 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 frees up the drain and then then the world takes care of itself. They're about every half mile, which again proves that God is um, not in favour of metric. They're often not at ground level. So this was this thing at the second floor. This is on the second floor, yeah, they're often not at ground level. Yeah. I mean, maybe one day we'll have neighbourhood watch for the energy drains. You know, then we just clear whole areas, yeah? They're not necessarily in a building, they might just be... Yeah, they're about every half mile, so you're going to get... I mean, obviously you can get some in buildings and you'll get them all over. They're just going to be in your space. Yeah, yeah. It's a network. It's a network, covering the whole of the Earth. Like a grid. Like a grid. Yeah, like another one. Yeah, like another one. But this is actually... It's part of the subtle energy anatomy. Yeah. Yeah? Of, of the earth. That was at the second floor. Yeah. Uh, it, are they always that high? No, 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 you might have one at the ground floor. They sort of go up and down. Yeah, yeah. Do these drains drain both the positive and animate one? I don't think, I don't think they drain the positive, I think they drain the negative. Yeah. Oh, and just very quickly, one of the things that can switch a drain off is sheets of electricity, uh, sheets of metal, uh, such as washing machines and stuff like that. So they're, they're not on top of the drain at a distance. There's more stuff on this in my book. So if I, I mean, that's not a, it's just because I'm running out of time. <laughs> but they've got my book here. And I just want, let me just ask that, because I actually was going to ask that over there. Is it the energy drain or the energy switch that you correct? Because I believe there's a switch nearby. Yeah, there's a switch nearby. The, the switch is usually, as far as I Switches get switched off because it, because metals put over them, right? I mean, usually accidentally, of course. Yeah. Um, so you can switch the switch off. We have had a wonderful time in um, in uh, Regent's Park where I took some aluminium foil and, and stuck it over the over the switch, and people were standing. A couple people standing. It was a drain at ground floor. People were standing there and going, "Oh, this is okay." And 
Jane, I think you're going to be deceived <laughs> for the rest of the weekend. <laughs> Thank you very much. Well, that's going to just about do us for today, I think. Thanks once again to Jane for that fascinating talk. As usual, I'll post a link to Jane's website on the main podcast page. Adventures in Dowsing comes from the British Society of Dowsers in Hanley Swan, England. For more details about the society and what we get up to, please check our main website at britishdowsers.org. Tell us your dowsing stories, ask us a question, or just say hello by sending an email to podcast at britishdowsers.org. What's happening in your dowsing world? We'd love to hear from you. Anyway, thanks for listening. Many thanks to Hilary Brooks for the music, as always, and be sure to join us next time for more Adventures in Dowsing. <laughs>